Um, well, I'm not supposed to be up here today. Rod, after Ash Wednesday, got a call and his mother had fallen in her house and broken her hip. And the firemen had to knock the door down to get her. And so after the Ash Wednesday service, he had to drive up to Phoenix. And so I got a call later that evening saying, Eric, you got to speak. I don't even know when I'm going to be back. So um, you can keep him in prayer. She went into surgery and she's doing well. And um, But she's going to be in long-term rehab. And she's like 82 or 83. So she's... Um, if you spent any time talking to Rod, you know his heart for her and his struggle with um, just being a hundred miles away from your mom when she's trying to deal with, with aging and all of those issues. So, um, is the clicker here? Or can I use the, I'm just going to talk this to me. Oh, oh, wow, nice. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Um, so we're, we're in this series on a year-long series called Rooted Disciples. And what we're trying to do um, is be a community that, like Psalm 1 says, to be a tree planted by streams of water so that we'll bear our fruit in time. That we're, we're rooting into Jesus, and because we're rooting into Jesus, we're bearing good fruit. And that fruit is transforming to us, it's transforming to our friends, our family, that's our hope, that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're transformed, the more our friends are transformed, um, the more our wives and kids are transformed. That's our hope. We believe that Jesus transforms people. Um, and so we decided to go through the values of the village because we think the values of the village describe kind of what Jesus did on earth, who he was. Um, and the values are authenticity, the disciplines, creativity, truth, accessibility, and community. And so we have been going through Habakkuk. Um, we just finished up Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is the authentic prophet. He's honest with God, and he's honest with others. So we kind of looked at him to see how you are authentic with, um, with God and how you do that. Now we had an art project, or, or a, a writing project, um, those of you who understand what that is, maybe you knew and you don't know, don't worry about it. Your deadline is the 16th. Hopefully through Lent we'll be doing some of the readings, showing some of the videos, stuff like that, of how people have responded to the prophet Habakkuk. Last week, Ron Lehman spoke on the disciplines, and he talked to us about those. But before we get to the disciplines, I want to talk about this idea of transformation. Um, The Greek word uh, metaneia is, is the word that you, well, in Scripture we translate as repentance. Right? But literally, as the text up here says, it means beyond the mind. It means a mind transplant. Um, and so I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it's of two verses that in some ways are the theme of the village. We sing this, right? This is... I used to play a didgeridoo on this song. You should all know Romans 12, 1 and 2. We sing it over and over again. But let me read it to you. And I'm going to be reading out of the Net Bible. So if you 
most of you don't have the Net Bible, I suspect, but just follow along with me. Um, that's like this translation. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Ron talked about this last week, and he talked about in particular the first verse, about how our the reason this is our reasonable act of service is that God has, God has done a ton. He sent his son to die for us, for our sin. He's given us redemption. He gives us relationship with the Father. So us presenting ourselves is presenting ourselves is, is a response. We're making ourselves available to God. And so the first verse is saying, basically saying, in response to what God has done for us, we're making ourselves available. And then it says that we should not conform to the world but be transformed. But here's, here's the thing about transformation. Um, in Scripture, we don't do the transforming. God does the transforming. In fact, in transformation theory and psychology, if you look at some of the theories, the idea is basically that nothing can be transformed unless it has an outside force that comes in on it and forces it to change, to be transformed. Things can internally change and things can internally transition. So when we're faced with things in our life and we want to say, hey, I want to, I want to change something, a lot of times it's, okay, I just need to improve the things that I'm good at. Or we say, ah, I am like 20 pounds overweight, so I will lose 20 pounds. It's a task-oriented thing. Or I will clean out that back room, you know, the room that's been bothering you. It's an A to B thing. It's just change. But transformation is like moving from the butter, from the uh, slug to the butterfly, right? From the, um, so when, when you hear that second verse, what I want you to imagine is that you're making yourself as a slug available to God to have your mind renewed and be transformed into a butterfly. Okay, So what we're trying to do here at the village when we talk about this Rooted into Jesus series is we're talking about making you all pretty butterflies and that you all are very sticky kind of eh, slugs. And that's what we're hoping that, because butterflies transform people Slugs are annoying. In fact, Jesse has this nice garden, and he's always picking off the, the uh, caterpillars and things that eat away at all the beautiful things, right? So if you're a slug, we want you to be a butterfly, and the only way that can happen is if an outside force hits you. Now, we're in the second value, and the second value, and I'll just apologize first to you, because I started the sermon on Thursday, and so I may just dump a ton of information on you on random, in random order. Okay, so you're like, what is he saying? Well, it's just all important stuff that you need to put together as a puzzle, okay? So, anyway, just put it together as I talk. But, um, so, we're in this series the disciplines, and we're supposed to look at a bunch of different disciplines, and this week is, is study, but Ron gave us this definition of disciplines, choosing to act with a predetermined purpose of following Jesus. 
I like the UFC one, which is train, fight, win, repeat. Right? That's what uh, I think the disciplines are. And so what Ron said is that we, practicing the disciplines, we do things like fasting, and we do things like studying, and we do things like um, praying and resting. And so this week, we're going to talk about studying. Now, the reason I've been talking about transformation is simply that in transformation theory, people who've thought about how people are transformed, what they've figured out is, is that the only way people are in transformation or are being transformed is if they have a ton of information, that they're constantly learning new things, okay? Because if you're not constantly learning new things, then you're not challenging the paradigms, you're not challenging your beliefs, you're not, nothing's being challenged, okay? So knowledge is key to transformation. And so study is our first discipline, and study is super key to being transformed. Because you have to have new information and you have to have new understanding that's going to challenge your worldly views, your worldly beliefs, your worldly paradigms, all that kind of stuff. Okay? So when Rod called me on Wednesday and I looked at the text and thought, oh, we're doing study, I thought, that's horrible. Because you, you have to understand, A, that I have to study now, really, I have to cram for Sunday, but um, about... Oh, I don't know. My, I guess it was my junior year of college. I found out I had a learning disability. And I'll give you the technical names for my learning disability. It's uh, dysgraphia and visual uh, processing disorder. It's probably is what I have. Okay? I'm not going to explain to you how that all works, except that I have short-term memory loss, can't construct sentences very well. Um, so, like, when I talk about having short-term memory loss, you, in your short-term, store a certain amount of information, then you store it in your long-term memory, and then you store, get more information and store it. The information in my short-term memory just dumps out somewhere, and I don't know where it goes, because it never stores in my brain. And so it takes more effort for me to study, as it is, okay? But I also feel like the more I talk to people, we all have, like, studying the Bible has this... I don't know, kind of this weird stigma on it. You got to do it right. You can't just open the Bible and stick your finger on a passage and start reading and it's going to work for you and everything's going to be good. Um, study is just, I don't know. We don't like school. Or at least most of us don't like school. We don't like to study. I have a hard time with studying. And so I was thinking about all of that and for those of you who don't know, I spent seven years in college, and then I left with like three classes left to go. And there are a lot of reasons I did that. But one of the reasons was is that, as I've reflected back on it, I had such a study fatigue because of how much extra work I had to do to get passing grades. I was reading uh, a, a little, like, help sheet of the 15 things that you can do to address, you know, different kinds of learning disabilities. And in college, I was doing all 15 of those because of how broad my learning disability was. So when I think about studying, I'm coming from a place where, man, it's hard. It's hard to sit down and focus and learn new things and understand new things and be able to communicate those new things and to have internalized those things. 
Um, so I understand the difficulty to studying. But in studying, there's an implication that you have to learn something, right? And I don't know how many of you have thought about this, but there are three different ways you can acquire information, right? Auditory, kinesthetic, the way you touch things, and learn by getting your hands on things, visual. And if you look at the lists up here, you can kind of probably put yourself in whichever one you're more likely to be. But what we've done in education is we've said, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a visual learner, so I, I don't really learn very well auditorily, or I don't learn well getting my hands on things. I, I need to read it, or I need to hear whatever. And so we've kind of become unbalanced learners as it is. It's because we tend to, to learn in the way that we prefer to learn. And so we don't acquire information very well, I think. In, in, if you want to be a good learner, if you want to start um, studying God's Word, if you want to begin this discipline, one of the things you have to do is do it in a balanced way. That means that you need to listen to people teach. You need to listen to the scripture being read. You also need to read it yourself. You need to go practice it. You need to go figure out what it means when it says love your neighbor, like physically practice loving your neighbor and finding out, oh, that's not loving my neighbor. Oh, right, okay, that didn't work. Saying those things didn't work. So part of learning is you need to do it in a holistic way. You can't just say, I'm only going to read the Bible and do like inductive Bible study and study the Greek and work out my systematic theology and argue about being you know, a biblical theologian instead of a systematic theologian. Like, or you can just be like, all I ever do is listen to sermons. And then you've got your favorite sermon guy or your favorite lecture guy, but you never read your Bible. You need to do it in a very balanced way. And you need to think about where you tend to overcompensate if you do um, in the way you study. Now, Rod gave us two passages to talk about um, this discipline of study. So if you, if you were following along in your Lenten reading, um, then you've already read these and done his meditation. But I'm going to read to you the two passages. Um, Psalm 119, verse 105, and Romans 15, verse 4. Says the word Psalm 19:105 says the word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Say that again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Romans 15:4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. Read it again. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now there's, there's two ideas that happen in here. Number one is that it says that the word, which is scripture, lights your path. It shows you where to go. So study of scripture will give you Direction. It will help you understand where you should go, what you should do. In Romans, it says that the scriptures teach us about God's endurance and give us courage, but the purpose of that is so that we can have hope. And that word have is to actually take hold of, 
Make it your own. Possess it. Okay? Now that hope is not like I hope that it's not going to be super hot tomorrow. Right? Like maybe it'll happen that it's not going to be hot tomorrow. Now that hope is based on some things that Jesus said. And that is, our hope is based on the fact that Jesus is going to come back and make everything right. That Jesus is going to fully rule you. See, part of the idea of transformation is that you are not completely ruled by Jesus. You are ruled by your own impulses. You are ruled by the lies and things of the enemy. You are ruled by sin. The hope that we have is because of Jesus' death and because of the resurrection, we will at one time in the future and then forever come under the rule of God. That our whole body, our whole life, our whole experience will come under God's rule. And that is exciting if you think being ruled by God is exciting. Right? So is that exciting? Okay. Good. Just checking. Just checking. So, these scriptures by themselves, taken out of context, are, are kind of interesting. I mean, you could say, hey, um, I need to read the Bible to know what I should do. And I guess if you read the Bible, then it helps you have endurance and have courage. But if you start reading these in context, you find out that it's a lot bigger and it's a lot more important. And it was surprising to me. So I want to first start at Psalm 119. So you can turn there if you have a Bible. We're going to spend a little time there. But Psalm 119 is a really, really long psalm, and it follows the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, 119, 105, I'm going to read 105 to 112. This is like the whole poem that's inside Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to walk by, and a light to illuminate my path. I have vowed and solemnly sworn to keep your regulations. I am suffering terrible. O Lord, revive me with your word. O Lord, please accept the free will offering of my praise. Teach me your regulations. My life is in continual danger, but I do not forget your law. The wicked lay a trap for me, but I do not wander from your precepts. I claim your rules as my permanent possession, for they give me joy. I am determined to obey your statutes at all times to the very end. So this isn't, hey, God, anytime you need God to give you direction, then he's read his word and it'll, he'll give you direction. It's the context of this passage or this little verse is the writer is saying, the psalmist is saying, in the time when I'm in trouble, when things are really, really bad, when I don't understand what's going on, when I feel like people are pressing in on me, when, when I can't pay my bills, when things happen to my kids, you can go on and on. He's saying at that moment, the Scripture gives me direction. The Scripture shows me what to do. The words of God give me hope. And he says there that he's going to face God and say, all right, in the midst of all of this, I'm going to look at your word, and I love that he says, O oh Lord, revive me with your word. You will see, if you read the Psalms, you will see this over and over again. The psalmist says that reviving, or being renewed in your soul, comes from 
the Word of God. And when he's referring to the Word of God, most of the time, it's God's rule. It's not God loves you, so that, that's true there, but it's thou shalt not have any other God before you. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not make idols and worship them. It's the rule. The boundaries are the things that fix your soul, that revive you. And so what he's saying is that in the moments when I'm in trouble, I'm going to hang on to the rules. I'm going to hang on to your way of doing things. Now, I don't know if, if you know this. I put up this little uh, thing on YouTube. I'm not on YouTube, but on Facebook that was on YouTube where my two favorite people are in an interview. Larry Crabb, because you know Larry Crabb, I like him, and N.T. Wright. And for some of you, are like, I don't know who those people are. Well, you're, if you listen to me, then you're heavily influenced by them. But they're <laughs> sitting in the same room together being interviewed, and it's like this opportunity for me to geek out on two people who are like this I love, and they're talking. And Larry is talking about a book he wrote where he looks at Scripture each book of Scripture as a love letter to us. So, you know, Leviticus, all of the rules of the Old Testament, as a love letter. If you approach the rules of God from a point where it is a, a love letter and not a, this is what you should do, you realize then that this is something that revives your soul. If God loves you and he sends his son to die for you, then the things that he says are good are good, and the things that he says are bad are bad, and in trouble, you better hang on to that. You better hang on to that. Because that's what's going to keep you safe. That's what's going to revive your soul. First, uh, 111 says, I claim your rules as my permanent possession, for they gave me joy. I think when we don't, read scripture, when we don't study scripture, when we're just in a place where we're around people who do or around people who talk about um, talk about scripture, but we're not reading it, what happens is, is we just associate ourselves with it. Right? We're associated with it. We're associated with the rules of God. We know what they are. Yeah, they're, they're nice. But when we just only associate ourselves with those things, when, we're not, when they're not pushing in on us, when they're not that outside force trying to transform us, then it's easy for us not to follow them, and it's easy for us to end up feeling dead inside. But when you and I take hold of, the, of God's rule, when we possess them, then we're transformed because it brings us joy. So when we really own, thou shalt not have another God before me, we're transformed. If we think that's a good idea, God, then we're not transformed. But when we say, yes, that's what I want my life to be about, then we're transformed. When we look at the things that God offers us as regulations and say, this is good for us, and I want them to flow over me, and I want them to be mine, I don't just want to be associated with them, then we have joy. So, 
second passage is in Romans 15.4. So when we're looking for direction, I would suggest to you that you look at the words, the rules, the ways of being, what you should do. But when you're looking to endure, I think this is really interesting. In Romans chapter uh, 15, I want to read this to you because the verse that Rod gave us, 15.4, is right smack dab in the middle of a Greek paragraph that comes right before or right after this conversation about if you should eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols or not. And it's a conversation about weaker and stronger brothers. In fact, people who've translated this have titled this little section Exhortations for the Strong to Help the Weak. Let me read this to you. It says, Starting in verse 1. But we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but just as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And now here comes our verse. For everything that was written in the former times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Now, may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse that says we're supposed to read and be taught by the scriptures to endure and find courage for hope, is not about hanging out in the world. It's actually, you and I need to put ourselves in Scripture so that we can put up with each other. The thing that will make it okay for you and me to live together is to be in Scripture. Right? Because, honestly, it's really easy, one, to get irritated with one another. But the other thing is, we're all really weak. I'm weak in some areas, and you have to put up with me, and you're weak in some areas, and that's really hard to be in community together. Some of those things are, some of us are just super judgmental. Others of us just don't want to say anything to anybody. We don't want to offend. Everything needs to be nice. Others of us think, this is the way it's supposed to be done, and everybody needs to do it this way. Others of us think, hey, you need to study this way. Hey, others are just judgmental of one another's lifestyle. We could go on and on about the things that irritate us, the things biblically and theologically we disagree with, like how we interpret revelation or how we look at free will. We can go in all the theological things. Or it could be that you just have bad breath all the time. right? I mean, it can, it can be that simple to make it difficult for us to live together, to be in community together. And so, what Rod pulled out here is this verse that says the Old Testament, the Scriptures, now the New Testament, but are written so that you can learn to endure and so that you can have courage. And how does it do that? Well, the text there says it's about Jesus. That as we spend time in Scripture, what we find out is that Jesus bore all of our weaknesses. 
that it's all about Jesus. So that the way that you and I can survive in this community, in the village, is to spend time studying Scripture so that we can get our eyes off our own self and get our eyes onto Jesus. Because when we have our eyes on Jesus, it's much easier to put up with one another's little personality tics, silly theological views, laziness. It's much easier to bear those things when we realize that Jesus is bearing them for us. Now, I want to go back to this the idea of transformation. To be transformed, the first thing that has to be happen to you is you have to wake up. Right? Like that uh, system of a down song, right? How many of you know system of a down? Oh, come on. There we go. Wake up, put on a little makeup. Right. You have to wake up. Okay? And the only way that you and I wake up is if we put ourselves in a place where we can be disturbed. Okay? Now, the rules of God are disturbing if you allow them to disturb you. Jesus is disturbing if you allow him to disturb you. The only way that you can do that is to begin the practice and discipline of study. The only way that you can be confronted, I think, with God and wake up and be transformed from the ugly, slimy, sticky slug that you are is to begin to start studying your Bible. Okay? To, to read God's Word. And I think a lot of times, you're like, oh, right, we go to church and they keep telling us that we're supposed to read this and we're supposed to study it. No, seriously, this, the God of the universe died on the cross for your sins. And the only way you know that is that it's right here. That God inspired these words. Now, um, you can't be transformed unless you don't, unless you study your scripture. No transformation, I think, will happen to you. Because the, o- the, the only way that you're going to know, have new information, have your paradigm challenged, have the Holy Spirit speak to you, is study scripture. Now, I'm not going to entertain the argument of what about somebody who doesn't have a Bible and blah, blah, blah. You have a Bible, okay? So I'm talking to you as a villager. You've got 10 of them or access to 10 of them, okay? That's how you're going to be transformed. Now, my hope um, is that you will do that. You'll make yourself available by studying. Now, if you're anything like me, studying the Bible seems a little bit overwhelming, right? And so I thought I'd just give you some ways to start studying the Bible. Um, because studying the Bible isn't that hard. You open it up, start somewhere. I guarantee you, actually, people always say, you know, take your finger and point something, and that's not a really good way to study. It's actually not too bad. Open your Bible somewhere and stick your finger down and start reading, okay? Now, one of the ways that you can do that is in a reflective way, right? Take a chunk of Scripture and read it. And then read it again. And ask yourself one real simple question. What is the passage saying? 
Not what is it saying in its complicated things. What is the plain thing? Because here's a little rule I can give you about studying the Bible. The main thing is the plain thing. Just look for the main thing. Ask yourself, what would everybody in the world, if they read this passage, think? It's saying. That's probably what it's saying. right? So just look for that main thing. Then ask yourself, okay, what does it say to me specifically? Like, okay, this is a, there's some general truth, but how does that work in my life? What does that mean? If it says, you know, like the simple first commandment, thou shalt not have any other God before me, what does that mean? Do I have gods that are before God? How does that work? Think about that. Reflect on it. Write something down. The third part of reflective reading of scriptures is then just pray. Just pray the truth back to God. Say, God, this is what I've learned. This is what I think you're telling me. Is that true? How can I work on this? And then make a choice and act. Act on it. Try doing something that would be told to you in Scripture that you heard. So, reflective. Try that. Try this week just doing some reflective reading and thinking and praying. Now, the second one is one that, that I do and that I really like, and it's a Trinitarian one, and it takes a little bit of time. I would suggest that you find a New Testament letter. I'll just give you one. Try Ephesians. It's the best one. It's my favorite. You take the entire book. It's not long. And you read through and you say, and you make a list. And you make a list of every single thing that is said about God the Father. And then you make a list in that book. Read it again and make a list. Underline every single thing that is said about Jesus. And then every single thing that's said about the Holy Spirit. And read it at least three times through. And then sit down and begin to organize what Paul, who wrote Ephesians, has said to you about who God is. And you will have your mind blown. You could spend the rest of your life just wrestling with and thinking about who Paul said God is in Ephesians. You wouldn't have to do any more studying. Just trying to digest all of that. It's powerful because part of studying is allowing yourself to get to know God and God's character and what he does and how he interacts with people can come out simply by you listing out everything that's said about him in his three persons. And then you can do the same things with reflecting. You can pray to God about that. You can respond to it. But I guarantee you, when you begin to look at God's character and God's the truth about God, you will just start acting. You, if you do this kind of study, at least for me, it's very powerful. The third one is journaling. Here's for you geeks. This is what you can do. Go get yourself five colored pencils. You know, get yourself like Ron was talking about, a little coffee cup in the morning, and your journal, and your Bible with lots of big spaces in between, you know, the lines, and then just start underlining and circling and putting triangles on things and, I don't know, running around your Bible singing. I, you want your little passage to just look beautiful. Things that stood out to you, things that meant, you know, just underline. Then take one thing out of there that meant something to you and journal about it that day. Just take that, you know, if it's 
If you read Romans 15, and then 15.4 is the verse that you've just marked up, then write about, okay, how will Scripture give me courage? How, how did God endure? How did Jesus endure? Okay, what is hope? Just write out what you think about all of those things. And what that'll do is that'll start shooting all these little things in your head, and you're like, oh, I need to figure out what encouragement means. Oh, I need to figure out what my hope is. Oh, so you'll start reading other things, and you'll get excited, and then you'll write a whole book, and we'll read it. And it'll be good. Um, so these are three ways. There are hundreds and hundreds of ways to study the Bible. Um, these are three ways I just wanted to tell you about to get you started. I think out of all of the uh, all the disciplines, study is the most important because I think the only way that you're going to have your paradigms and your beliefs and your mind renewed is for you to begin to study Scripture and having God's voice speaking to you. I want to read to you, closing, what time is it? Give me time. 6.15? You're kidding me. I've been going on and on. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, verse, let me read this. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This Bible was breathed in by God. And so if you have the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of God inspired these words. And so when you read the Bible, the Spirit in the Scripture, which is the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit in you, which is the Holy Spirit, it's like there's an explosion. There's a lighting up. And you're transformed. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this community and for their willingness to listen to me and for their willingness to be here to study and to be transformed and to move from slug to butterfly. Um, help us all to be in that place. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead. Amen.